Welcome back, warriors. Tansei Sego Ani Buju, Quainin Deluisi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices, as well as nation building. And today, this is the third part in a three-part interview with warrior woman, Dr. Cindy Blackstock. And we continue the final segment of this interview. At a Caring Society, we have seven free ways anybody can make a difference in under two minutes. And the reason we make them free is because we think that too many groups either rely on just certain people in the community making the change and everybody else kind of waits around and wait for an mm-hmm. update, or they're, uh, they're wanting to fundraise. And not every family can afford to do that. But what we really believe in is every person can make a difference and really pursue these TRC's calls to action for kids. So we have three ways to make a difference. We have events all the time, like up and coming for Jordan's principal. We have Bear Witness Day. So, Pam, what you need to do is dig up your teddy bear on Pam. And um, that's also Spirit Bear's birthday. He'll be 12. Yeah. And um, what you do is you bring your bear to your work or to your daycare, your school or your community center. And it's to honor Jordan River Anderson. And then you can share Jordan's uh, message, Jordan's principle with others. And we actually have kids who have done public service announcements on our Caring Society website. They're done in French and English and ASL. So they've done all the work for you. Just show this 60 second public service announcement, bring your teddy bear and then uh, Spirit Bear here has his own Twitter feed at Spirit, <laughs> and you just take a photo of your teddy bear and yourself, and you uh, put it up there with the hashtag Jordan's Principle. So that's coming up, and we do all kinds of things like that. So it just makes it easy and fun, and something that people can do in their own home or as a group. Yeah. Or the Have a Heart campaign was one of my favorite, you know, yeah. because that's. You know, it doesn't really cost and it's coming from the heart. Anyone can do it. It's apoliticized. It's, you know, like what I like about your, you know, your free ways to do something is that it's not political. It's just all from the heart about justice for these kids. And it gives people something to do because that, I mean, I'm sure you get this question all the time when you speak. I know I do is, well, okay, now that I know, what do I do? And I don't have any money or I'm not a lawyer or I'm not a researcher or I'm not really comfortable protesting. So if, what can the regular people do? And I think the fact that you have seven free ways is it's easily accessible for people. Yeah, and we also have Spirit Bear is an author, among (laughs) other things. Uh, And he's written two books. And they're children's books. And what we do is we have uh, one of them is called Spirit Bear and Children Make History that tells the whole story of how Spirit Bear and the other children at the tribunal uh, stood together for Jordan's principle and for equity and child welfare funding. And then he, um, so that's his first book. And then his second book is called uh, Fishing for Knowledge, Catching Dreams, which Aww. is him. And just hold on a second here. I got to get another cast member. <laughs> Because although Mary is the matriarch of the family, this is Uncle Huckleberry. Oh, so cute. And um, he is a bush bear, grew up in northern BC. And it starts off with these two fishing. And uh, they start talking about traditional knowledge and then how things change with residential school. And then Spirit Bear wants to know, well, what's happening in education today? 
And so he goes to Ottawa and learns all about Shannon's dream. So these books, um, I should make really, really clear that all the proceeds go to children's uh, reconciliation funds. So no one is making any money off of these films. It's all the money goes back to help engage more children in promoting Shannon's Dream and Jordan's Principle. And uh, we also give away free copies. So we give them away to domestic violence shelters, to children's hospitals, wow. children in low-income communities. And we have teddy bear tea parties. And so what we do is we ask community members to organize a teddy bear tea party for the kids in their community so that the children can come and they can uh, read Spirit Bears books all together. And they can bring their own teddy bears and we all just need to make sure every child has a teddy bear, right? That's our job as adults. And uh, we have like teddy bear cupcakes or teddy bear bannock, however you want to do it. And then it's just a real celebration of children. So we do things like that. We're having our next one uh, May 10th, which is, uh, of course, Spirit Bear's birthday and Bear Witness Day. We're going to have about 400 kids here in Ottawa do a teddy bear tea party. Oh, my goodness. Well, I I'm so glad you just spoke about all these things because I have a concern. Um, you know, when the tribunal issued its decision, um, that doesn't mean everything changes overnight or we wouldn't have seven non-compliance orders but the other thing that people have been talking about on twitter is oh i'm so glad that there's something called bill c92 it's an indigenous child welfare act so everything's good now we don't have to be concerned anymore and there's and and i and i was thinking well wait a second one the, the issue doesn't go away overnight and two maybe the bill's not exactly what it's being sold as. And I know that you've had a chance to read it. What do you see are the positives and negatives of this bill as it stands right now? Well, the positive is the aim of it. And I'm not going to say it's the aim of it because I don't think it achieves it, <laughs> which is really to recognize that First Nations, Métis and Inuit peoples are the rights holders and the proper groups to raise their own kids. Um, the downside of it, as I see, is it's it's pan-Indigenous. Mm -hmm. And the needs of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit children are very different. And the way that communities have organized themselves around child welfare are very different between those groups. Like, this bill does not distinguish between them at all, which I think does, doesn't do any of the three groups, their children, any service. Mm -hmm. The other main thing is that there's no money in this bill for First Nations jurisdiction. So if, uh, you know, if Huckleberry decided to draw down his jurisdiction tomorrow, there'd be no money to actually design the programs or the institutions or operate those programs. And there's no way you could run a child welfare system, no matter how well designed, without any money, right? I mean, we sadly have got children and families who've got a lot of needs. And uh, culture is very important for that. But we need specialized addictions programs and other mm -hmm. things for too, right? So the lack of money is a problem. And it's particularly a problem when you think about, well, for the last 12 years, we've had this case against Canada trying to get equitable funding. It took 12 years and now seven orders against Canada to get them where they are right now. Um, and Canada saying, well, just trust us sometime in the future, we'll provide it. Well, I don't know. Is there something to me that just isn't good enough, right? Not when our kids are at stake. We need more guarantees than that. The other thing is in budget, this year's budget, there wasn't a penny for the Bill C-92, right? So when they say, well, trust us, the money's coming. Well, it's not going to come in this budget. 
which means that it'll come after the next election if it comes at all. And we don't know who's going to be in power then or what their priorities are going to be. The third thing I think it really misses the mark on is it doesn't have enough clear protections for our kids. Like this act really should, is the opportunity we have to kind of raise the bar for our kids, signal to our kids that they are worth our very best efforts. And we need to put some baseline standards, not to transgress on a First Nations jurisdiction, but I, I, no matter what First Nations I've gone to, even around the world, nobody agree, Nobody says sexual abuse is okay in their community. Right? No. Like we need to just say this stuff, kids have a right to live free of sexual abuse and sexual exploitation and physical abuse. That should be just a baseline. Mm. They don't mention that in this act, right? So how can you get it over representation without being clear that children have a right to live free of these types of maltreatment? And then the other thing that Bill doesn't have is kind of what we were talking about earlier. Remember the drivers of First Nations Kids in Care, the poverty, the poor housing, yeah. and substance misuse? So let's just say for some miracle, we actually get a funding for the child welfare portion through this bill. But there's not going to be, there's no commitment to make sure that the housing crisis is resolved. There's no commitment to make sure that we have adequate and culturally based addictions programs for adults, young people, and in fact, a whole community based system. None of that is there. So even if you put in a Cadillac version of a child welfare system from a self governance basis, they're not going to be able to achieve what they need to achieve because the drivers of the child maltreatment are still going to be alive and well. So those are a few of the concerns. And then, you know, I'd look at people like the Yellowhead Institute in your column about jurisdiction, right? And I'm not a lawyer, um, but for me, it even fell short there, right? So, um, which raises a question, you know, because I hear, I see First Nations across the country. Some are against it. Some are for it. Some are mm -hmm. worried about it, but are hoping to improve it. There's a whole array of views. And of course, someone like me, I don't get a vote in that, whether I'm for it or not, because I'm not a rights holder. But I hear language like, well, it's a window of opportunity. And I, that doesn't sit well with me because I just think our kids are worth the best. And no matter what happens in the next, I don't know, a couple months here, um, if I am invited to present at committee, that's what I'm going to say, is after everything that they've been through, they are worth the best. And I am going to do what I can to kind of say, this is what my view needs to be in there to give them that best. Because they don't deserve mediocre. No. And, uh, nor do our families. And we also don't deserve something that's a paper tagger that says, oh, well, we'll promise you to give you your dreams and hopes, but we're not going to fund you to be able to do it. I... I I don't know. I think that what the elders say about integrity is right. And that integrity is really giving words meaning. And this act uh, has a lot of words, but I'm just not clear on the meaning of those words. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, that's the thing about it. Like, I mean, as a lawyer, I went through it and there's like a hundred little detail things in the way things are worded, but even just making preventative care conditional on if it's in the best interest of the child. When would preventative services not be in the best interest of the child or to make prenatal care, which should be a given, only in the if it's in the best interest of the child? Like what weird and bizarre wording is that? Shouldn't we just be presuming that all of this like wraparound service 
should just be there anyway. Yeah. You know, prevention, during, after, all of it. Yeah. And we need to really recognize that, you know, um, when we talk about child welfare, in some ways, I don't really like that word. I don't yeah. even think child, child and family services, because what we know is it's not the children are not the reason they go into child welfare care. It should be adult welfare yeah. <laughs> with a different word, you know, than welfare. Yeah. But it's like it's because adults haven't resolved their trauma. It's because adults haven't uh, um, been able to access the services that they need. And when you have adults who are in crisis, then children go into crisis and become unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so somehow that needs to be better reflected in this bill, right? And we have some solutions and I've seen other people put forward solutions and I'm hoping that the government is open to it. But my experience so far in talking to them is that you, they'll listen to what you have to say, but they won't change the text in any meaningful way. And I'm really worried it's going to go through and just be mediocre. If, yeah, with so, with so little time left, knowing parliamentary procedure and even parliamentary rules, if you change a piece of legislation too much, then it's a new bill or it needs a new title or you have to start over again. And, you know, I can appreciate that we all have different views, we all come from, you know, what, what we think the solution is. And I think we shouldn't have to pick from one solution. I think there should be a whole basket of things that should be available to us. It's not just legislation or funding or this or that. But, you know, part of the problem is the government, as you know, defaults to, oh, is there a problem? Well, let's go to a set of meetings and tables and research and studies, and then let's come up with legislation. When legislation was never required for them to fund First Nations kids properly. They could literally do make that decision and do it tomorrow. And I think that's something that's missing in this conversation, that legislation can do certain things and we might get some protections out of it for, you know, for people who support that kind of solution, but it's not mandatory to end discrimination against First Nation kids. You don't even have to say the word treaty right or Aboriginal right. You don't even have to go down the political realm to just say, we're going to stop discriminating against kids, legislation or not, rights or not. And and that's, I think that gets lost in this. And we're, we're now going to spend the next, you know, six weeks, two months debating over amendments and what should and shouldn't be. And, and w without the substantive you know, we've made a, a statutory commitment to funding, then it's like a hollow promise. Yeah, it is a hollow promise. You know, and I, uh, that's, I, I hope the Canadian public, whoever listens to this or watches this, understands that the job isn't done, that yeah. all of the spirit bear work and, and all of the other things that we need to do still need to happen, that even if this legislation gets passed, you have to assume it's going to be implemented. You have to assume there's going to be regulations. You have to assume there's going to be budgets. And these are big assumptions for governments who have never stepped up in the way that they promised to do. Yeah, they've, uh, no government in Canadian history has ever kept its promise to First Nations children mm -hmm. to even give them the basic kind of services that other kids get. We're still fighting for that in 2019, right? Mm. Some people say to me, well, you know, they've made good progress under this. Yeah. And I said, you know, I hear that, but Canada's know, uh, known about this underfunding for 112 years. <sighs> At what point does the answer that we're making progress not good enough? Because it's not good enough for me. 
And it's not the answer First Nations kids deserve. And for those who say, well, we can't afford to do it overnight, well, cancel the renovations of Parliament. This is going on right now. They're spending billions of dollars. If we can afford to renovate Parliament, we can afford to treat children properly. It's the choices we're allowing politicians to get us as a public. That's what's happening. And I would love to see a day when every First Nations person across this country says, enough. We are going to stand here. Mm-hmm. Our kids are worth the money. Our kids deserve these basic rights. That giving them clean water is not reconciliation. Ugh. It's a fundamental human right. And that's what we're going to demand that you do. And if we do that together, if we actually mobilize yeah. that way, imagine the future that would come oh, from that. Oh, imagine if you could shed all of that negative talk that has been given to us by Indian agents in residential schools. Well, take what you can get, be practical. A little bit is enough. You know, you'll get a little bit later. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard you say, there is no such thing as incremental equality. You're, you either have justice and equality or you don't. And our kids and, never had it. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think we have the right as adults to say, yeah, you know what? That's a good deal for the kid. We'll settle for this or we'll settle for that because you only need to talk to a foster child to understand, like, what right do we have to say, well, you know what? We'll settle. You don't get any dental care this year or for the next 15 years, or you're going to live your entire life in and out of foster care. That's, we don't have the right to do that. And and I think that's that's where politics kind of messes up just the basic issues of social justice. Yeah. And you know, and I often think like, sometimes I feel like caving in, I get crabby and I get tired and everything else. But then I think about, I almost imagine like the kids in that courtroom, if they were here and they saw me do that, then what am I telling them? You know, like, I think sometimes we forget that, uh, you know, that famous adage that children may not always listen to their elders, but they'll never fail to imitate them. do we want that next generation to say that the services are good enough for their kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're going to take this window of opportunity. We can't get everything. Um, or do, and what, when we say we can't get everything, we need to remember that we're, what everything means to us is a basic human right that every other kid gets. Yeah. Right? That's not everything. <laughs> it's, it's fundamental justice. And I want these kids to know one thing, and that is that we love them enough to want the best for them, and we love them enough to fight for them. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's it. That's the, that's the moral of the story, and it kind of, you, you live that. You don't just say that. You know, you do everything you can. You take every action you can to stand up for these kids so that if they see you, they see at least one person who hasn't given up hope. I mean, there's lots, but they need to see us never give up hope. And one of my, you know, questions that I try to ask at the end of every interview is, you know, what do you think it means to live a warrior life? Uh, Some people think of, you know, protests or, um, you know, resistance, but there's other ways. There's a, like, there's a really holistic way of living a warrior life. To some people, it's, you know, clean living, you know, healthiness. What do you think in terms of, you know, morals and values and actions, how people, kids and adults can live a warrior life? I think it's to understand that it's not doing anything that a two-year-old wouldn't do. Hmm. Um, 
two-year-olds understand unfairness and they protest if they're being treated unfairly. Um, and they will let you know. Um, but you know, when I read the letters about children, they all, they'll say very clearly, what you're doing is wrong government. Uh, that you can't just give, why are you giving these kids dirty water that makes them sick? Mm -hmm. But they always send, sign their letters, love so-and-so. You know, um, I think that we need to understand that one of the things, uh, what my mom said earlier was really true. We need to think like two-year-olds. We need to see unfairness wherever it exists. And we need to understand that it's our duty not just to stand up for First Nations kids, but to stand up for all peoples who are being treated unfairly. That's the type of role modeling we want, to create a co-create a society where no one's left behind. And if you're like me and you don't feel you're smart enough or you don't feel you're bright enough, then just remember that poem that when you step across that place where light leads into darkness, there'll be something solid to stand on and you'll be taught to fly. That's where we want to show our kids is that even we are prepared to address our fears and insecurities because we love them enough to try. Oh, well, that's that's beautiful and that's inspiring. And I think that's the perfect way to end this show. Although I wish we had about eight more hours because I could just talk to you forever. Witness day. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd remind everybody what the date was again. May 10th. May, May 10th. 10th. Yeah, and you can have, uh, like, uh, you can get Spirit Bears books and watch them and read them. And we're actually, one of the things we're asking for people to do is translate the books into your language. And then uh, have uh, the kids read it in your language and put it up on YouTube and then share us with the link. So children of all diversities can hear Spirit Bears stories of justice and kids in all the different First Nations languages. And he's got two movies coming out. So watch out for those animated films coming from Spirit Bear, Care of... Amanda Strong, this amazing Indigenous animator who's going to bring Spirit Bear to life. Spirit Bear will actually speak uh, probably by the end of this year. Oh, my goodness. That's so exciting. I know. We'll be able to have, like, sc film screenings, you know. And yes. what we're also hoping to do is we got the puppet sets and everything. And uh, we're hoping to create a little tour so that the children can come and actually see Spirit Bear as he was on the train and with Jordan uh, in Jordan's principal and see the children and then watch the film and read the book and realize that it's children just like them have changed the world for the better. And they can. And they will. And they'll continue to do it because they're the future policymakers and lawmakers and... That's wonderful, Cindy. I, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done and everything that you taught me. I follow everything that you do when I'm, you know, thinking about these issues or, uh, you know, answering questions. The first thing I ask in my head is, what would Cindy do? Because I know several things. One, that you're in it for the kids. Uh, this isn't about you. And two, that you don't make deals on anyone's behalf. And there's a certain kind of moral integrity that's attached to that, that... I know if I'm if I'm watching carefully what you're doing, that you're always doing it with those best intentions. And so I try to keep my my advocacy compass very much centered, aligned with yours so that I don't make any of those mistakes because I'm not a child welfare. Like I never worked in child welfare. I know it from a legal aspect or research aspect, but you've been in it. So I know you know it in a way that many other people don't know it. So Thank you for all you do and for being that moral compass for me and so many other people. And thanks for standing with the kids, Pam. You always have and you always will. Thank oh, you. Thank you. All and right. 
and hopefully we can have you back when we get more good news and more changes. Yeah, well, actually, you know, I'll have to introduce you to the rest of the family. You only saw three of them here, but there's more. Oh, okay. That's what we'll do next time. <laughs> okay. See you, Cindy. Bye. Bye. I'm so thankful to have had Cindy on my podcast. She's such an amazing person. She's a wonderful educator and advocate. She's a real warrior at heart. And I hope you all enjoyed this podcast series. Thank you all for tuning into my show. Um, I've posted some links in my podcast description where you can go and find out more about the First Nation Caring Society and look at some of the free ways that you can uh, take action to help First Nation kids in care. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Until next time, keep living a warrior life. Walalia. Well,